Um, thanks for being here today. We're glad you're with us. If you're watching online, we had a few audio difficulties, so now it should be back. So uh, if you're watching online, say a big amen. Thanks for laughing at that. That's terrible. You're like, oh, it's going to be one of those days. Um, we are wrapping up our series today on integrity. Thanks for being here today. We're, um, if you are new, we'd love to get to know you after the service. We've been in uh, this series on integrity for about six weeks now, and really the anchor verse, I want to read it again, Proverbs 11.3. This is kind of the verse that we've been anchoring this series on, talking about integrity. The integrity of the upright guides them. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. We've compared integrity, and it's that kind of that image on the screen as well, to like a bridge. If you're an engineer, and I know we've got at least one engineer in the room, if you're talking about structural integrity, you're thinking, okay, I want the thing that it's designed to do to be able to withstand pressure. If we're in this building today, we're glad that there is some structural integrity because we know that it's going to handle the load of the weight. Even if it snows someday in Minnesota, on the roof, we know that that extra weight, the structure is going to handle it because it has structural integrity. That is that verse talking about our lives. If we want to have a life that honors God, if we want to have a life that is strong and able to handle all that we are supposed to handle, we must base it on integrity. So we've been looking at different stories in the scripture about integrity. We started with Daniel, how he started with the dietary rules and laws and the king's food, how he, in the small things, decided, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to live with integrity in the small things. I'm going to make it a habit. I'm going to make it something that I do. And then when the big things came, when the big temptation, when the stakes were much higher, he was in the habit of living with integrity. Jacob and Esau, we talked about how Esau traded his future for a bowl of stew, traded his future because he was super hungry and he had an appetite that needed to be satisfied right then. And we talked about this, don't trade what God has for you for something that seems so good in the moment, but will be gone just like that. Christy spoke on Abigail, who spoke into a heated situation, who spoke against the cultural norms to stand up for what was right and achieved a peaceful result. And then last week, she spoke again on David and Saul and asked this question, what do you do when you mess up? If you want to have a life of integrity, none of us are going to get it perfect all the time. So when you mess up, when you do something that goes against God's standards, when you hurt somebody, what do you do? Saul was the one who came up with all sorts of excuses even kind of godly-sounding excuses, and we get really good at that. Well, I just, I was kind of obedient to you, Lord. David had the response of, I have sinned. I have sinned. Saul made excuses, and when David messed up, even more, you would look at the story and be like, David messed up way worse than Saul. But David's response was a simple, I have sinned. He owned it. So a life of integrity revolves around when we mess up. We got to own it. We got to own our stuff. When we mess up, own it. We... Man, we have a hard time with that in our world. It seems everything in our world is somebody apologizing for something on TV, and then we say, well, that really wasn't an apology. It was like, well, I'm kind of sorry if you kind of misinterpreted what I was saying. No, we own our stuff. So today we're going to wrap it up in a story in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, first book of the New Testament. This is the story of the temptation of Jesus. And I want to talk about integrity of our faith. And there's elements in this story that apply to all the other ones we've had over the last few weeks. And that's why it's kind of a good wrap-up. This is the temptation of Jesus talking about integrity in our faith. A story of how Jesus withstood temptation to compromise so he could stay focused on what God had for him to do. So I'm going to read the story, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read the whole story, 1 through 11. 
Uh, the words will be up on the screen, but please follow along in your Bible too. Make some notes, underline some stuff. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's the most redundant or unnecessary phrase in the Bible. <laughs> After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Whoa, you want to underline that. That's deep. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So just a quick side note there. When Jesus says, It is written... Where is it written? What's he referring to? He's referring to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, and now the devil is quoting scripture, so that's good news for all of us, right? For it is written, and this is right out of Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So that little side note there is, it's possible to have someone use scripture in a way that it was not intended to mean something else. So just because someone says, the Bible says, doesn't mean that the Bible says. You know, you know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Let's just pray for the message today real quick. Lord, we commit this time to you. As we look into your word, I pray that it would be way more than just words that I'm speaking, but your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart here today. Reveal your truth, your love, your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So right away when I read that story... There's another, it's, it's a story that reminds us of another story in Scripture a little bit, right? Someone on their own, and the tempter comes and says, don't really listen to what God says. And who, who does that remind you of? Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve. It's a very similar story. I was thinking about that this week. Adam and Eve, they are at the start of something significant, obviously. This is like the beginning of God's relationship with people. And they are in the Garden of Eden, and God says, don't do this. And what do they do? They give in. God's relationship with people is damaged because Adam and Eve couldn't withstand the temptation, and their temptation gave in, resulting in death, in separation from God. Now, the story with Jesus is similar, yet obviously different results. Jesus is not in paradise like the Garden of Eden. Jesus is in the wilderness. So there's a neat dynamic there that, in comparison to those two stories. And Jesus is also at the beginning of something significant. This is the beginning of his ministry. This is right after he was baptized. Right as he is, a, is about to start ministering to people and teaching and performing miracles and getting disciples and all that. He's right at the beginning of that and he is tempted. He is tempted to give in. And his obedience is the opposite of Adam and Eve's disobedience. His obedience brings life. His obedience is like step one in that role that he is playing in bringing people back to God. Where Adam and Eve's sin brought separation from God, Jesus is at the beginning of his journey to bring it back into relationship with God. So where Adam brought death, Jesus' obedience brings life. He proves himself to be sinless 
and therefore a worthy sacrifice for our sins. So the first verse, and I want to highlight a couple of things from this story today. And the first one is right in verse 1. Right in verse 1, it says this. The first words out of this chapter. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus was led by the Spirit. So first of all, this temptation wasn't just because Jesus was wandering around. And this temptation was something that God had for Jesus to endure. There's going to be times when we face temptation. Jesus isn't tempting us. The Holy Spirit isn't tempting us, enticing us to disobey. But he is allowing us to go into times of temptation to test our faith, to cause us to grow. But the biggest thing I get out of that verse is this. Jesus lived a life. We think of Son of God of, you know, just um, doesn't need to pray. He is God. Who's he going to pray to? But Jesus lived a spirit-led life. Jesus' life was led by the Holy Spirit. That's amazing to me. Jesus needed to spend time in prayer. Jesus knew the scriptures. He's quoting them right here. So all the times that Pastor Christie or myself or anyone else says, it's important for you to spend time in prayer and in reading the word. Why do we say that? Well, A, because Jesus did it. But Jesus had that life led by the Spirit. His life, his faith was alive. It wasn't just a, a, a consumer thing or a spectator thing, or it's just like, well, I got to go to the temple today and check that box. It was everyday life for him was something that was, Holy Spirit is going to guide me and lead me where I need to go. Now that is available for you and I today as followers of Jesus. This is the desired result of anyone who is follower of Jesus. Not just going through life, making up your own path, and, and hopefully Jesus will get you out of a jam when you get in trouble, and otherwise just go through the motions and make your own you know, desired result for your life. It is every day, Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, lead my life. So it could be something that you're going through your normal life, and it's like you feel God speak into your heart. Like, go talk to that person. That's a spirit-led life. Go spend some time in prayer. Go over here. Or maybe even bigger things. Go enter a new season, a new career, a new ministry. Take a step of faith. All of these things are the desired result of the followers of Jesus Christ. That's us today, to have a life like Jesus that was spirit-led. Imagine your everyday life being like that, right? It's like, now it's not, you don't, you don't need to be weird. We'd prefer it if you weren't weird like like you're in the lineup at Target and what, what's that, Lord? We, we love it when it's like, which line is going to go fastest, Lord? Lead me, Lord. Lead me to the checkout line that's going to be. But it could be something like you just are walking around and you feel the Holy Spirit talking to you. you go talk to that person. Go share your faith with that person. Go reach out to that person. Make this decision. Take this step of faith. Something that we see is like, oh, I don't know about that. But imagine that moment of the God of the universe speaking to your individual life to accomplish something that will bring him glory. This is what is desired for you. Time in the word, time in prayer, hearing the direction of the Holy Spirit. This might be a brand new concept for some of you, hearing the voice of God. You might, might freak you out. I've never heard the audible voice of God. It would probably freak me out too. What I've heard or sensed in my heart is just this idea that the Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart. It's just this conviction or it's this... It's this kind of uh, sense or feeling that God is talking to you. And the more you listen for it, the more you obey it, the more you're going to recognize it. This is what faith looks like for us. So if you're used to just like, well, I go to church and sometimes I give in the offering and maybe I'll volunteer every once in a while and that's the extent of your faith. Man, you're stopping short 
of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, bringing life and power and peace and joy and direction. So it's not just a blessing for you, but a blessing to everyone else that you come in contact with. This is foundational for us to have a life of integrity is a life that starts with time in the word, time in prayer, time listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. And this is why we have different groups and studies at our church. So I'm just going to use the Monday night men's group as an example. Monday nights, we have men's group. And the design of this group, men, is to come together, sit around at a table, and we read a chapter of the Bible, and we talk about how it applies to our life and what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you individually through this chapter. And then we spend time praying. And we all want to pray. And we all want to read. And here's what I've heard from it. And we've had a great time at these groups. There's a great group of guys that meet here on Monday nights at 7 o'clock. Amen. There's a voice of the Holy Spirit right there. Sometimes the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like Colonel Merrick's. But um, and here's what I've heard from a few guys or a few wives of guys. They say, well, my husband wants to come, but he's, he always says, ah, he just, we disqualify ourselves. Like, well, I'm not really good at that. I don't really like reading the Bible. I, I don't want to read the Bible. I don't know what it says. And I'm not good at praying in front of other people. I don't really want to do that, right? How quickly we disqualify ourselves. So I want to compare that to parents. Let's just use us as an example, with one of our kids. And we said, Junior, I want you to learn how to ride your bike. I want you to learn how to play the piano. I want you to learn anything, to throw a baseball. And if our child came to us and said, oh, I don't really want to do that. I'm not good at that. I, I don't know what I'm doing. What would be our first response? Well, because you've never done it. You learn how to do it by doing it. Of course you're not good at it when you start out. Nobody's good at riding their bike when they start out. But you do it, and you learn how to do it. So I'm not going to accept any excuses from the men of this church that you would not accept from one of your children saying they don't know how to clean the dishes, okay? I'm just saying, this is why we do it. It's not just to fill a night in the calendar. It is so that we can learn to have a life led by the Spirit, so that our faith is something more than just coasting through and checking the box, right? Guys, are you with me? So we're going to hand the sign-up sheet around right now. No, we're not going to do that. But come to this group, and whatever it looks like, this is where our faith becomes more than just this. This is where we own the faith. I don't want, I want your faith to be something that you own, that you are feeding yourself with the word of God, that you are hearing to the voice of God so that you're not church dependent. That sounds weird coming from the guy on the stage, but I don't want it to be like, oh, fill me up with enough stuff on Sunday morning so I can make it through the week and limp through and then I'll come back on Sunday. I want you to own your faith so that we go out We are being fed by the word of God, led by the Holy Spirit, impacting our world. And then what do we do when we gather together? It's the disciples of Jesus gathering together, celebrating what God has done, inviting other people that we've shared our faith with. That is how the church will grow. Okay, so I want us to do that. Now, to illustrate this, this whole church-dependent thing, we, we had to buy a new coffee maker the other day. It's a Keurig coffee maker. It's like the 19th one we've had to buy since we've been married, since they've been. Because those things don't last very long, do they? Keurig coffee maker? I think the shelf li- or the lifespan for those is about a week and a half. And then you're like, oh, got to get the, like disposable things. So the other day when we bought our Keurig, I was thinking, man, it would be great if this would last. Why don't they make one that lasts, not cheap little plastic? And then I thought, well, of course, they don't want one that lasts forever because then you won't come back every nine days and buy a new Keurig. 
right? Somewhere in a room somewhere, Mr. Keurig said, I don't want a high-quality Keurig. I want them to have to buy them all the time because that's what's going to keep us in business. I don't want that for church. I don't want to give you just a little bit of enough so that in seven days you're going to come back again. And I want you to own your faith. Read the word. Some of you have been coming to church for 20, 30 years, and you're still operating with a Keurig faith of just give me enough to get me by for another. And then you go through, and you're, you're just hoping to have a coffee maker of faith that'll last you one week until you can come back, right? That's not what we want. We are always going to encourage you to grow and have your life led by the Holy Spirit and not be dependent on anything I said. Because if it's based on stuff that I say, we're all in a big heap of trouble, Okay. <laughs> So I have a, here, here I have kind of a, a list of warning signs, kind of a Keurig faith warning signs, a list of warning signs that it's time to grow. They're going to be up on the screen. If the sun wasn't blasting in, you could be able to see those a little better. But I'll read them for you. Here's the warning signs. If you feel stagnant in your life or nothing's changing, everything just stays the same. Stays the same. If your faith feels comfortable, that's always a big warning sign because faith in God is never supposed to feel super comfortable. If you keep falling for the same temptation, repeating the same pattern over and over and over again, that's a sign it's time to step up. There's victory available for you. Grow in your faith. If your faith is all about monitoring the behavior of others, this is a big one because what happens in the church world is our faith stops growing and we become stale and stagnant. So the only way for us to feel spiritual is to push other people down or to point out the flaws in other people. And some of you say amen because you've been a part of churches where all you felt was the, the judgy people, the judgy Christians saying, well, you can't come here because you have this messed up in your life. If your faith is all about judging the behavior of other people, it's time for your faith to be spirit-led and come alive. Your faith is all about consuming. If you think about church or your faith is all about I need, I need, I want, gimme, 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 then it's time for you to grow. And your faith is not impacting your world. That's a warning sign. If you're going into your workplace, into your school, into your community, if you've lived in your house, in your neighborhood for any amount of time, and the kingdom of God has not advanced, you have not impacted your world, well, that's a warning sign that your faith needs to grow. If you're living a spirit-led life, the Holy Spirit is going to guide you so that you can impact the people around you, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, right? So these things, these are kind of warning signs. If you're sensing some of these things, spend time in the Word. Hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's going to direct you to grow and to have a Spirit-led life that will make all the difference in our world. Homestead Church, I've been having this feeling for a few weeks now. Kind of a, well, now what feeling. And here's what I mean by that. We've got three services, and when I go to places, they're like, wow, three services, homestead, you got a building, things seem to be going great. I'm like, yeah, we got people coming, it's great. It seems like for about six years now, we've been trying to just kind of establish a church, like just trying to stay alive, get people here, and if we can pay some bills, that'd be great. Well, now we're kind of at that point where we're, we're a church. we got people coming. Some Sundays, I'm amazed. People keep coming back. That's awesome. But, but now what? Like, at this point of a church, it's super easy for us to kind of go inward and to keep offering things that would keep everybody happy. Well, this person wants this, but we got to just kind of keep all these things going and, and uh, make sure we don't lose people and hopefully some other people stumble in the door one of these times and, and to keep everybody happy. It's so easy for churches to do that where we just keep people in the seats and that's all we do. I don't want to do that. I'm glad you're here. 
please, you know, feel free to come back. That, but I'm glad you're here. But here's what I want. I want us to have a group of people that switch from this, ah, oh, we just come to church, to we are the church. And I've said this a hundred times before. We are the church. Each of you is going to go out, have a life led by the Spirit to impact the world that you are in. So that's the first point. Jesus' life, he was led by the Spirit. And here's the second point, because of course it's not just enough to hear what God is saying. It's not just enough to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Here's the second point. Jesus was obedient. We don't like that word. We don't like that word, but Jesus was obedient. He heard the voice of God. His life was led by the Spirit, and he listened to it. Now, that's the, that's the, the message of faith right there. Hear the voice of God and do what he says. It's not easy, right? But it's pretty simple. You can, you can put that on a business card, right? Hear God and obey. That's it. That's it. Christy talked last week the story of David and Saul, where Saul was making all the excuses. He was supposed to wipe out all the stuff that he found in the enemy nation, but he kept some of the best for himself, kept the best of the treasures and the sheep and the animals. He was disobedient, and he tried to make excuses, and he said, well, God, I kept all the good stuff because we want to sacrifice it to you. He made it sound very spiritual, right? And what was the response of God? This is the, the modern translation. I don't care all the spiritual things you're going to do. I asked you to obey. And the, the line is, obedience is better than sacrifice. You obeying God in your life is way better than any Christian-y thing that you're going to do. The number of times you come to church or when you put something in the offering plate or when you watch the kids or downstairs or you do something, all the good things that we can do pale in comparison when God is saying, I just want you to do what I ask you. I just want you to obey. A few weeks ago, Brooke spoke on Sunday morning, and she did a fantastic job. If you were here and Brooke shared her story, it was so well done. But the week leading up to it, I had a few conversations with her, and she said, I'm super nervous about this. A, because I don't think she realizes how good she is at speaking yet and that that's going to be part of her life from, from henceforth. But also, sharing that vulnerable story of hers was difficult. That's a difficult season she walked through that she was going to get up and talk about. So a number of times she said, I'm nervous about this, I'm nervous about this. And then she said, but I feel like God is asking me to do it, so I have to be obedient. I'm like, well, that's it. That's everything. That's the ball game. We were at a retreat a while, uh, a few weeks ago, and there was a line that was said that I wrote down, and I keep going back to it. And the preacher said, understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. Okay, so God's asking you to do something, and you don't understand why he's doing it. You don't have to understand everything. There might be things that God's asking you to do that don't make sense, and it might be till you get to heaven one day till you understand all the reasons why God was asking you. Understanding can wait, but obedience cannot wait. Obedience is something that God is asking you to do. So as we wrap up in a few minutes, I want to just look at how Jesus was tempted and how he was obedient. And we already mentioned this. First thing the devil tries to do is to question God and to question who Jesus is. If you are the son of God, if God said this, the devil does that in our life, right? Question, did we really hear from God? Did God really say this? And he questions who we are in Christ. If you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, and tries to bait us into disobedience by allowing us to question what God said. And the I even said it, the devil even tried to use scripture. And how, how easy it is for us to fall into the temptation to misuse scripture to get what we want. Wow, we do that sometimes. But how does Jesus respond to temptation each time? What does Jesus do? 
He uses the word. He quotes scripture. He uses the word. This is why we're asking you to read the word, to memorize scripture so that you have it in those moments where you need direction, where you feel like you are being tempted, where there's a temptation to veer away from obedience of what God's called you to do. You can say, no, I know the promises of scripture. A moment when you're tempted to give into the voice of the enemy that says it's hopeless, you're defeated, you're not going to amount to anything. You can say, no, I know the truth of God's word, that I am a child of God. We've been singing about it today. I know who I am in Christ, a son or a daughter of the king. I am victorious victorious through Jesus Christ. These are things that we want you to read the word so that you're not like in a moment of temptation, you're like, um, you know, hey Siri, what's a good verse on temptation? So that, and you hold it up like Siri's going to read it for you, right? We, Siri's fine. Siri knows the scripture, but I want you to know the scripture so that you can respond to temptation or uh, a, a desire to disobey with the word and the truth of God. Amen? But here's what I want to focus on for a little bit. The third temptation that faced Jesus in verse 8. In verse 8, here's the third time that he was tempted. It says this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This third temptation... For a lot of years, I always felt like, well, that's the devil overplaying his hand, right? Of course Jesus isn't going to do that. Bow down and worship me. It started with make some bread, and then it started with show off some of your skills. And now it's bow down and worship the devil? Like, really? Of course Jesus isn't going to do that. But this is the sneakiest temptation of them all, and here's why. This is the one that I think would have been the easiest for Jesus to give into because this was an opportunity for Jesus to achieve his goal without the suffering, without the cross, without having to give his life, right? His goal was to be exalted over every kingdom, to be the name that everyone worships. He would have been over every kingdom of the earth. So this is a temptation to take a shortcut to what he thinks is the same end result and to not have to die to not have to suffer and be crucified. So in that moment, I imagine there's like, hey, this doesn't seem like that big of a disobedience, but it's going to get me where I want to go. The devil always wants you to veer from obedience to God. Jesus faced this temptation to get seemingly the same result, ruler over every kingdom, but he would have had to bow his allegiance to something other than God, Right? He would have had to bow his heart in worship to something other than God as a way to avoid suffering, as a way to avoid dying on the cross. And the call of Jesus above everything else was to be obedient to what God had for him to do. It's all about obedience. Even when it meant being, uh, being crucified on a cross, even when it meant that Jesus was going to lay his life down and be beaten and suffer even when it means he was laying his life down as a ransom for many, for us, so that God could be glorified and people could be reconciled to God through him, the perfect sacrifice. He was obedient to what God had for him to do. There is always going to be, when we talk about the message of the gospel in our world today, let's talk about our modern world today, our culture, there's always a friction when gospel meets our culture, when the truth of God meets our culture. 
We see it all over the place. There's always a friction when the gospel comes into a culture. The gospel is always going to push against popular culture, regardless of what culture it is throughout history or around the world, right? Because what culture says, and we'll just use our culture as an example, culture says, look out for yourself, prefer self, promote yourself, pursue what feels right and makes you happy. This is the dream of everyone in our land, right? We pursue what makes us happy and what is good for us. And the gospel comes in and says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants me to be my disciple must, what? Deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's that idea of a spirit-led life every day. The same thing is take up your cross daily. We don't like that stuff, right? We don't like that stuff. I don't like that the Bible says that, Right? I don't like that the Bible says that, but here it is. The call to be a disciple of Jesus is must deny himself, take up their cross, and daily and follow me. So the temptation we face is going to be the same temptation that Jesus faced in that moment. Skip the dying part. Skip the suffering part. If we can find a way to be godly and righteous and do all the Christian things and skip all the parts that make us suffer, skip the laying down our life part, That sounds way more uh, positive, right? It's like the people who are like, I like Jesus. I like God. Holy Spirit's kind of weird, but it's okay. I don't like that stuff about suffering. And I, I like when he blesses me and protects me, and that's all I want. So I just want that instead of this other stuff. And the word of God is there is no separating it, right? You want to be a disciple, you lay it down, your life. And you may have to suffer for it. There may be times where you're like, I'm obedient and it's costing me something. And that's what this whole thing about integrity is. Integrity is doing the God-honoring thing when it costs you something. This is the call of Jesus Christ. And if we're thinking that we're going to get some of the good, the good blessings of God without the suffering part, if we're going to try to do what Jesus was tempted to do in this moment, of achieve the godly result without having to suffer or lay down our life, then we're doing what was tempted to Jesus to do there, is we're bowing our hearts to allegiance to something other than God. We're bowing our hearts to allegiance to us and our happiness and our comfort. We're trying to take the easier way. So if you've ever said, well, I want God and I want to be materialistic and I want to have all my money, If you've ever said, I want God and religion and I want to win the culture war and have political power and tell everyone else that they're wrong, I want to win. If you've ever said, I want God and I want my sexual freedom to be able to have sex with whoever, whenever I want, I want both. If you've ever said, I want God and I want a life of comfort and ease or fame or recognition, that's not obedience. Don't fall for that temptation to say it's kind of godly. It's not obedience. And there's friction here today, and too many people are justifying their disobedience by saying, well, God's wrong. The Word of God is wrong here. The Word of God doesn't apply to our world today. It's just not relevant today. We get to the point where we look at God and we say, we know better than you now because we're all, you know, modern in the 21st century. And we look at God and we say, yeah, we, we know better. How arrogant, right? How arrogant. If, I think, again, using kids as an example... I'm not sure what the age is when kids figure out they know everything. Maybe around 13. <laughs> Again, around 20. There's kind of like peaks and valleys. As a parent, you always have those moments where your kids have figured out everything, and they know why your, the parents are wrong. Mom and Dad, you just don't get it. And I was like, oh, we don't get it? Now, if it's TikTok, I admit, I don't get it. I don't understand it. 
But other things, I'm like, oh, you figured it all out now. Now, that's the difference between kid and parent. So there's about a gap like that. Imagine us and God saying, God, you just don't understand. You don't get what it's like in our world today. How arrogant for us to say, oh, we figured it out. When we justify not obeying God's word, that's a huge warning sign. When you're finding reasons to not obey what God's word says, to not obey what God is calling you to do, understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. As we close, here's what I want us to feel, think about as, as a church. Because we have a lot of people in our community, and the question I get a lot is, would we be welcome here? Would those people be welcome here? Would that person be welcome here? Who can come in? And there's a lot of churches that say, well, you've got to clean up this part of your life, and then you can come to church. Well, if you're not this anymore, then you can come to church. We're not doing that. Everyone comes to church. Everyone is welcome. Invite anyone you want to come to church. Everyone is welcome. You don't got to clean yourself up to come to church today, okay? But what we do is we say, we're not going to try to say, well, this behavior, that behavior, that behavior. We don't have like a panel of judges like, eh, wrong, you got to fix that. What we do is we point people to Jesus. We point people to Jesus and we say, I want you to experience new life in Christ. When we lay down our lives, we pick up new life in Christ and it is way better than anything we can try to orchestrate in our hearts. But what we do is we offer Jesus everything. So the call for anyone who comes to church is going to be, We come, we admit that we're a sinner, we receive the mercy, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, and then we offer him everything. And the Holy Spirit comes and leads us into moments where we say, okay, that part of my life is not honoring to God. This bad habit I have is not lining up with God's word. This thing in my life is not uh, consistent with the truth of God, right? And so we offer everything. It is no benefit if we say, God, I give you this, 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 but not this. I'm hanging on to this. My money, I'm hanging on to that. My sexuality, mm mm-mm, that's mine. You don't get that. My greed, my arrogance, my anger, mm mm-mm, that's kind of my comfort thing. What we do is we say every, Holy Spirit, have every part of us. Now, here's here's the hot tip today. All of us have moments and areas in our life that God is still working on. Ain't none of us perfect. We all continue to lay down everything and say, God, I keep messing this up. But God, I want to pour everything out to you. You have my whole life. I die to myself. I'm not going to give in to the temptation to be partial in my obedience. I'm not going to give in to the temptation to try to take the shortcut without laying down and dying to myself and being willing to give it all. Does that make sense? This is what Jesus went through. This is what we are called to. And of all the ways we can try to add integrity and strength to our lives... That's it. Obedience to God. Obedience to God. Laying our lives down. So are you being obedient today? Is there something that God is saying, I've been trying to get you to do this for a while, and you're just still hanging on, you're still refusing to take that step, to give that up, to open up that part of your life? Of course you're going to hit roadblocks in your life when you're walking in disobedience to God. So today could be the day where you say, I lay it all down. We've been singing that song, Jaira, Jehovah Jaira, you are enough. I'll be content in whatever lot you have for my life because, God, you are enough. I lay it down. And here's the good news. When we die to ourselves, we find life, true life. When we bow down, we find strength, true strength. When we surrender, we find freedom. 
This is the, the, the truth of the gospel. When we give everything we have, we receive everything we need. This is how God works. So today the call is hear the voice of God and obey. So only you know and the Holy Spirit knows what area of your life you're withholding and being disobedient. I just promise you it's good on the other side of obedience. There is a good Savior waiting to not just empty your life of everything good, but to you to lay everything down and pick up new life in Christ. Joy and peace and freedom and abundance. And it starts with obedience to Christ and dying to ourselves. Let's pray today. Holy Spirit, we take a moment and we just open our hearts to you and we ask that you would convict us. We don't want to feel condemnation. Condemnation is from the enemy. But conviction is different, and that's from you. Conviction is an invitation to something better. So if there is something in our hearts, and I know we've all got them, that is an area of compromise, a shortcut, an area that we have yet to give over to you, convict us today. And in humility, we lay down everything we have. Whatever it is in our life that we've been holding back, God, we open it up to you. And maybe you want to just signify that, which is with open hands in front of you. God, I give you everything. I lay down everything. I receive your mercy, and I lay down my life, and I want to pick up new life in Christ. I want to be obedient in every area of my life because that is where we find new life in Christ. So do that work in each of us, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said,